Hello and welcome to episode 1136 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs, presented by our Patreon supporters. My name is Ben Lindbergh, I write for The Ringer, and I'm joined as always by Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs. Hello. Oh, hello. Hi. We have a lot on the docket today. This is going to be a competitive episode, a draft-filled episode. One quick bit of banter I wanted to get to before all of that. Mookie Betts bowled a 300, a perfect game on Sunday night. This was in the final qualifying round of the World Series of Bowling in Reno. And I want to ask you how impressive you find Betts' second career as a bowler. So this has been well-reported, of course. He's an excellent bowler. So entering Sunday night, he was averaging a 204.71 score through 35 games, which ranked 156th out of 195 players. So he is not making the cut for the PBA World Championship, but he improved over the previous year, and he's good. These are the best bowlers in the world, and he is one of them. Not on the short list for the best bowlers in the world, but a is one of the best 150 or so bowlers in the world, it seems like, or at least of the bowlers who are competing for the PBA championships. So how impressed are you by that? Because we talk about multi-sport athletes a lot. We've talked on this podcast about whether we'll ever see another Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson, someone who makes at least two of the highest leagues in the land. How does Betts' bowling compare to that? I guess I'm really just asking you for your opinion of bowling <laughs> more so than, than Betts, but Well I'm not gonna think? lie. Yeah. I don't have a I don't have much of one. I have bowled. Yeah. I'm someone who has right. bowled, but I, I don't know I don't know the exact inf- I mean a bowling a three hundred is that it's not I it can't be as it's not as rare as a baseball perfect game and no. it's not as rare as like a hole in one. Betts himself had apparently done it 10 times. This was his first time doing it like in an official event. But yeah, it's something it's it's more common than a baseball perfect game. It's more common than like a hole in one or something. But it's it's impressive. I think it's an impressive mm-hmm. feat. Evidently, all of the top bowlers were congregating around Betts to watch him do this. And he performed under pressure. Yeah. Okay. So it requires, well, maybe maybe the thing about it is that it, it requires such a small sample. You're bowling, what, uh, 12, 12, 11 or 12 times in order to get a 300? Yeah, 12, right. 12. Okay, so that's just like, it's 12, it's executing 12 perfect pitches, and there's no function of luck, you know? Like, if you throw a perfect pitch in baseball, then someone can still, like, hit it off the fists and get lucky. Hit one of those Luis Gonzalez squibbers into the outfield to win the World Series. But if you make your bets, just like, I'm going to put these 12 pitches exactly where I want, and then that's it. Like, there is no batter, and I have succeeded. So, given his clear know-how of of physical mechanics and his presumed wrist strength we know from his hitting he has very quick wrists maybe maybe there's not enough crossover baseball players and bowlers among the uh the really good contact hitters so i'm gonna say that i was i was more impressed over the weekend when i first heard about this but now that i'm actually thinking about it and what goes into bowling a perfect game it's good but I, I get the sense that there are an awful lot of bowling perfect games. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's not what your actual question is about. It's not just about his, his perfect game, but about the quality of his bowling in the Overall, first place. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I would be interested in knowing... We need a much larger sample of professional 
baseball players who are also bowling to know how good they are. And I wonder how much benefit there is, like the general body athleticism. Uh, I don't know how much <laughs> that matters, but like the 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 precision that you have to have with your with your forearms and your wrists seems mm-hmm. like there would be a good amount of of overlap. I wonder about pitchers specifically. Maybe bowling would be good exercise for them, or really bad exercise for them. Mm-hmm. I don't really know which. So I'm going to say I'm less impressed than I want to be. I'm I'm wide open yeah. to being impressed by Mookie Betts' bowling, but eh, 156. Eh, I don't care. Yeah, the rarity of it stands out. I mean, you hear all the time about baseball players who are also really good golfers or something, but it's just not as common a, a pastime, I guess, at least at an elite level. So it, it stands out more, and it's it's impressive. I don't know. I mean, the athleticism of bowlers is probably not nearly as high as baseball players, not only because of the requirements of the sport, but because of the incentives, the fame, the money, etc. So maybe if you put someone like Betts in this kind of competition, you'd expect him to be really good. I don't know. Curious now about bowling luck since you brought it up, because I live across from a bowling alley, which is called Lucky Strike. So there's got to be some luck, right? I guess <laughs> maybe there's luck just in the sense that if you're a bad bowler, you could have some some good roles, right? I mean, you you will get lucky. You'll just not be very good, but you'll happen to cluster your good games together, which mm-hmm. is a, a form of luck. But I guess you're right that once you actually put the ball in play, so to speak, there's less luck. I guess there are different surfaces that might suit one player or another, but the conditions are probably, they don't differ as much as, as they do in some sports and activities. So you're probably right about that. Yeah, probably a, a, a good good element of cluster luck cluster unsustainability but yeah i I think that lucky strike probably applies to if i go bowling any strike that i bowl is lucky (laughs) now we're probably opening ourselves up to uh, a number of emails from people who actually understand bowling and maybe (laughs) maybe the uh the pin resetters aren't quite so precise as you would think that they are or maybe there is more variety in i don't know if there's a word for pin topple ability uh, maybe maybe there's more of a spread in that than than one would assume. Maybe bowling balls aren't all exactly the weight that they advertise themselves to be, and maybe maybe the lanes aren't always as waxed or polished. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, maybe there's there's differences there. So there there could be a wide opening for a lot of variety in bowling alleys, but no, I think the answer <laughs> is that there is not. <laughs> I saw that the Red Sox tweeted that he bowled a 300 and had a video of him doing so, and there were many, many responses to that tweet that said something to the effect of, if only he could hit 300 in baseball, which he did that last year. Like, (laughs) give the guy a break. Like, geez, he had a low Babbitt this year. We've talked about it, but he has been a 300 hitter in baseball, so come on, that's within his skill set too. He's been worth 20 wins above replacement <laughs> in like three seasons and a month. He's absurdly good. He People really are so is. unfair. Yeah, and we've talked about how he was probably just about as good this year as he has been in previous years. And maybe he got a little unlucky this year and lucky in previous years, but certainly based on the quality of contact, he's he's still excellent. But I guess, yeah, I don't know. People even were tweeting about like if he could hit 300 in the playoffs or something, which he just did. He hit 313 <laughs> in the ALDS like a month ago. Come on. All right. So I want to bring something up. Do you have any banter or should we? No, it was going to be bets. 
Okay, good. All right. So the Krasniks, as we have called them on this podcast, came out today. This is a, a Sam Miller favorite. It's an annual tradition. Jerry Krasnick, every winter since at least 2003, has polled baseball insiders about various hot topics pertaining to the offseason. So he'll do this at the beginning of the offseason. He will survey people in baseball about what's going to happen over the offseason, basically. And Sam is always fascinated by this. He's already emailed me about it today. And he, at one point or maybe two points, tracked the results of these surveys at Baseball Perspective. And when he looked at a big sample like 2003 to 2011, he found that the results were barely any better than random chance, which is maybe somewhat surprising or I don't know, maybe it's what you would expect. I mean, it's surprising because these are the GMs. Largely, these are people who are plugged in. They're making the offseason news, and yet even they don't seem to be able to predict it at all. And so I think we're always fascinated to see what they think and how it might differ from what we think and what actually happens. So I have not read the survey yet. You have not read the survey yet. You'll all just have to take our word for it. So what I want to do, which I think we've done on this podcast before, is just go down the list. There are nine questions this year, and there's a question, and then he tells you what his insiders thought. So this year he has... 40 people, 40 general managers, assistant GMs, baseball operations people, and scouts about nine hot stove questions. So I want to read the questions, and then I want each of us to say what we think the response will be from these insiders, and then maybe also what we would say if we would differ from what we think the response would say. So I'm going to scroll down this list very, very slowly so that I can see the questions but not the answers. So <laughs> question one, will Giancarlo Stanton be traded this offseason? If so, where? Some of these are yes or no questions. Some of them are more complicated. But let's just say, okay, what percentage of these respondents or how many of the respondents do you think will say that he will be traded this offseason and maybe what will be the top team that that he's supposed to go to? Okay, so I think 39 of 40 wow. will say yes, traded, okay. and 38 of 40 will say Cardinals. Yeah, right. Okay, I'm definitely saying Cardinals, and I would be right in the range that you are. Maybe I'll I'll take the under. You said 39. I'll say I don't know 37 or something. But I'm I'm right with you there. So respondents say yes, 32. Only 32. Oh. And the most likely destination is the Cardinals. 10, I guess 10 of the, well, I don't know. I guess this could be 10 of the 40, (laughs) say the the Cardinals are the most likely destination. So, okay. So that's, uh, yeah, a little lower than we both thought. It just, it seems like a certainty that Stanton will be traded just because the Marlins want to cut payroll. He is the most obvious way to do that. He's coming off a possible MVP campaign and uh but i guess you know there are always complications when you're trying to trade a superstar with a a strange and big contract so maybe that's what they're thinking by the way you can now talk about your deliberations on the al rookie of the year voting right are those results coming out today is that right Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's happening. (laughs) The many hours and days you spent poring over the stats to try to figure out who was the American League Rookie of the Year. What was was your process here? Like, how much time did it take you to fill out the name of, I'm going to assume, Aaron Judge on this list? Well, what took me the longest was figuring out a third American League rookie. 
Because <laughs> at the start of the year, it was like, okay, yeah. I think it's going to be Andrew Benintendi. I think Benintendi's going right. to be great. Sure. And then I Benintendi was, too. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Benintendi was like, he was fine. So I'm going to level with you. I kind of need to look up who I voted for third place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to guess in retrospect, I probably submitted Aaron Judge mm-hmm. and then Andrew Benintendi and probably Matt Olson. Uh-huh. But it might have been Jordan Montgomery. Look, this isn't a good look for me to not know who I voted for. I understand that. This makes me look like an idiot. But all anyone really cares about is first place. And if Aaron Judge is so unanimous yeah. that I think that there are National League voters who probably also voted for him just to give him more of a boost. I have never, I cannot imagine an easier vote ever in the history of any vote that has taken place in like the history of democracy or even sham democracy where yeah. like the votes aren't real yeah no this is this is the easiest thing that's ever been done so glad i didn't get like a national league mvp oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah they should have just like waived the voting this year of course it's judge all right i got it i got it oh who who was it no okay it was judge then i voted jordan montgomery second place (laughs) why not okay judge montgomery benintendi all right way to go jeff you almost (laughs) remembered what you did All right, next question on the Krasniks. Number two, which team will Shohei Otani be playing for on Ah. opening day? (laughs) All right, so what do you think the people said? Okay, so... Well, uh, so this one's impossible because we don't know anything, so therefore I'll say Yankees. No, no, I take that back. I take that back. Okay, yeah, I'm going to say Cubs also, I think. And, And that's what you think, presumably, too. You don't differ from what you think the crowd will think. Uh, no. Okay. All right. The responses are Yankees win. Yankees win with seven and a half. Actually, it's a tie. Yankees and Dodgers, seven and a half each. Seven and a half? What's half? I don't know what... How do you... What happened? I guess someone... Submitted a tie in in his response. It's come on, kind of a cop out. Come on, it's this, an anonymous this is an poll. Anonymous poll with no stakes whatsoever. <laughs> Just pick someone. <laughs> Surprisingly, you know, that no, you if you're a general manager and like one of the people in your front office hems and haws, and he and you hear that he voted half Yankees and half Dodgers in an anonymous poll, you fire that guy. That is not a decision maker. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly, the Cubs only one person. Really? Yeah. yeah, this is strange. So the Rangers, five. The Fighters, four. Mariners, four. And then the Cubs are tied with the Padres, the Astros, the Giants, and the Red Sox, all with one. That's uh, that's somewhat yeah. surprising. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. S- strong disagree. Well, okay. not strong. Mod- <laughs> my- mild. <laughs> Disagree. Yeah. All right. Number three. Which Kansas City Royals free agent, Eric Hosmer, Lorenzo Cain, or Mike Mustakas, will provide the best value over the course of his next contract? So I don't know. Probably like dollars per war, let's say, or or whatever. Which contract will turn out to be the best? Well, this is a this is a weird question because I don't know exactly what he means because value could just be overall performance or it could be performance efficiency, right? So yeah. I don't know what's s- being asked. Right. I guess the, the respondents were free to interpret this however they would like so we can predict how they would have interpreted it. I would interpret it as just being the best deal. So not necessarily the most valuable player, but, but best taking into consideration the terms of the contract too. Okay. I think everybody said Hosmer, but I would say Mike Miner. Mistakis? I mean, uh, no. Miner, Miner was not on the list. <laughs> well, I don't care. I still be. think Mike Miner is the most, it would be the best value. <laughs> I, I agree. But uh, of this three, all right, so you're saying Hosmer will be 
the best value. I'm gonna. That's what, uh, that's what they, they. What think they think, think. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna disagree. I think I'm gonna say Mustakis. I would probably say Mustakis of these three, and I don't know that. I mean, certainly Hosmer would have the biggest contract. I don't know that. He would be the most common response here. I'm going to say Mustakis. The responses are Hosmer, 25. You are correct. <laughs> 25. Wow. So, all right. So there has to be some element <laughs> of people just saying he's going to be the best, right? I mean, I, I would think probably because this isn't even close. It's Hosmer, 25, Kane, 10, Mustakis, 4, which, uh, I mean, if you were interpreting this as who's going to be the best, I could see it. But best value, best bargain, that seems strange to me that 25 yeah, no it's say. so yeah it's nonsense the scott boris deep state has infiltrated every front office in baseball it's, <laughs> this is out of control <laughs> all right number four jd martinez is the top free agent bat on the market where does he wind up and for what size deal huh all right i don't even know how to how to do this one so where does he wind up and for what size deal that's i mean there's so many possible responses here i'm gonna say Gosh. All right. How can we... Huh. All right. Well, should we just say most likely destination? And yeah. All right. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. So most likely destination. And I don't know how to do the what size deal, but that's a it's an open-ended question. But all right. Most likely destination. What do you think what these people will say? Yeah. I think they're going to say Boston. And I think right. that their words are probably not stupid big deal, but my words are. Okay. Yeah. I will also say Boston and... <laughs> I don't know what to say, like a hundred fifty million or something yep. like that. I, I don't know what these people are going to say. All right, responses: Yes, Red Sox lead the way with twenty three, and no other team more than five. Even the Diamondbacks, his his most recent team, only with five. So okay, and then let's see. There's nothing about the size deal. <laughs> that was just a a red herring here. He's got. <laughs> He's got observers, individual observers, predicting the size of the deal. He says, let's see, most respondents expect him to come away with the haul in the 120 to $160 million range. All right. I have a question for you. Yes, okay. Related to J.D. Martinez and, and the Scott Boris' wild-ass propaganda. So it came out like toward the end of last week. Boris, you know, he's talking up his client, J.D. Martinez, and he's like, if you look at what he did with the Diamondbacks, he was on like a 70-homer <laughs> pace. Right. Now, okay, but... I, look, I I understand. I understand the King Kong of Slug or whatever his, his term was. <laughs> yeah. But what he did with the Tigers was also super good. So why would you even try to draw attention? He led baseball in slugging percentage overall. Right. With the Diamondbacks, he had a 172 WRC+. Plus, but with the Tigers, in the same amount of playing time, it was 160. He's great. Yeah. Don't cut the season in half. You look like an imbecile. Right. Just say like J.D. Martinez led baseball in slugging percentage. Full stop. That's the <laughs> argument. You don't yeah. need to say anything else. Yeah. I mean, ending on a high note, sure, that's appealing to people. But I think, yeah, if you call attention to the fact that you're just talking about like two months of performance, then Ugh. it's even more obvious that you're trying to twist things to make the guy look good, which you don't have to do because he looks good regardless. And I don't know. No one is actually paying attention to what Scott Boris says inside baseball operations departments anyway. So it doesn't really matter what he says. I guess just this way he gets more publicity, which is perhaps good. 
So, but why? Why does he get the publicity? Why do people <laughs> quote him? I get. Look, I understand why you have to quote agents. Agents use the media, mm -hmm. and then the media gets tips from agents in return. So you kind of get what's going on. So if you're someone, if you're trying to be like a primo scooper or whatever a word is that is better than scooper, yeah. then you have to do the agents bidding. But what? Don't don't give Scott Boris a platform. He doesn't deserve. He's just lying to you. He's <laughs> lying to the world all the time. I hate to break Stop this to you, him. but you're giving Scott Porsche a platform right now. You're but not for the him. same. Ah. <laughs> ah, he wins either way. You can't beat Boris. All right. Number five. What kind of impact will you Darvish's World Series performance have on his next contract? And this is a, a multiple choice question. A, zero. It was only two starts. B, somewhat. It's a caution flag. C, substantial. He bombed twice on baseball's biggest stage. So what do you think will be the most common response here? None. Yeah, None. No I'm, effect. I'm also Nothing. saying A, zero. And the responses are somewhat leading the way with 23. Somewhat this is 23. A, wow. That was a bad question. Somewhat 23, zero, 13, substantial, three. That's, uh, that's something. Wait. 23... Plus thirteen plus, plus three. Who didn't? That's, yes, there's who's one, missing? No opinion. <laughs> that is actually what Sam emailed me about this morning. Every <laughs> single question had at least one no opinion or, or no response, <laughs> and several of them had exactly one no opinion or no response. So Sam said he is choosing to imagine Krasnick's interview with the, the one GM who agreed to take the call but refused to answer anything. <laughs> sure, I'll do your survey. No comment, no comment, no comment. Uh, it's the waffler. Yeah. It's the half vote. <laughs> yeah, it's that probably. guy. He's like, all right, I have no opinion, except on this one, I have a strong opinion. <laughs> one tied. of two teams. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Number six. Where will Jake Arrieta sign as a free agent? Ooh. Oh, man. Huh. This is tough. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who wants Jake uh, Arrieta. I don't even know who would. who's the market for Jake Arrieta. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's going to be back with the Cubs, even though they've been his team and they are in the market for starting pitching in theory. So maybe that's just kind of the default answer because we don't really know who has a strong interest in Jake Arrieta. But I mean, I guess you just go with the usual suspects, right? Yeah. Yankees, Dodgers, but... Uh... Well, let's see. Let's let's think our way through this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Arietta is available. Who who out there has bad pitching, but doesn't think that they're in a rebuilding cycle yet? Right. So that's <laughs> other Baltimore. Than the Cubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other than the Cubs, Baltimore, the Rangers have terrible pitching. Yeah. Oh, he's from Texas, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Or, yeah, I don't know if they're in the place where I guess they're either in the place where you have to go for someone like this or you kind of have to give up because if right. they don't do anything, I don't know that that's going to work out too well for them. Right. I don't think the Angels have the money. Yeah, probably not. Uh, so. It would be funny if the Tigers jumped in for no reason. <laughs> uh, I'm going to I'm going to say there's the I'm Mariners. Say, <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to I'm going to say I'm going to say Texas. OK, I'm going to. Say Cubs, I guess, just kind of mm. default. Not that I think that's going to happen, but all right. Responses: Rangers ten. All right, and Cubs five and a half. <laughs> Cubs <laughs> five on, and a half. Guy. Phillies four and a half. That's not a terrible guess, I guess. Dodgers three and a half. Come on, Angels. So wait. So we've got multiple people who <laughs> refuse to answer here because we've got multiple halves. Nationals one half. 
Come on. <laughs> Just, I mean, at least it's not like Nationals one quarter, Dodgers yeah. one quarter. <laughs> yeah. Kudos to these people for not having a four-way tie atop the answers. All right. Number seven, which late-inning reliever, Wade Davis, Greg Holland, or Brandon Morrow, will put up the best numbers on his best deal? Next deal, that is. Davis, Morrow, Holland? Yes. Uh, So I think Morrow, but I think they said Davis. Yeah, I think they said Davis, too, because this is nothing to do with contract. This is just best numbers. And the responses are Davis, overwhelmingly, 34 of these people said Wade Davis, Holland, 3, Morrow, 2. And then God, there's come the all, on. no opinion. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, why? Has, why? This, has it always been like this? You know the history better I, than I do. I, there are usually no responses and no opinions in here. I don't think it's standard for every question to have one, which is what we're seeing here. So I'm guessing there's one participant who's not going to be invited back to the 2018 <laughs> Krasniks. Anyway. Not surprising, maybe somewhat surprising that it's so overwhelming, but I guess if you think Davis is the best, there's no reason not to pick Davis. All right, number eight, which free agent cargo, Carlos Gonzalez or Carlos Gomez, is likely to reestablish himself as a prime player in 2018? This is, uh, I mean, Carlos Gomez kind of did reestablish himself, right? I mean, he was kind of done, it looked like, and then he he had a bounce back. I don't know if he reestablished himself as a prime player, but he was an above-average hitter and yeah. seemingly a competent defender, so eh, this, is a, this is a weird one. Carlos Gonzalez is hitting the free agent market at a, a strange time where his value is extremely depressed, and he's coming off a below-average offensive year, so eh, I mean, I guess Carlos Gonzalez is more likely to reestablish himself as one because he's further from being one this past season but i don't know that that's how they'll take this question so i guess i'll say gonzalez will be the more common response this is a stupid question (laughs) i don't feel comfortable giving an answer i think that the people said carlos gonzalez but i think it's a stupid question okay responses yes carlos gonzalez 29 carlos gomez 7 no response 3 Yeah, neither, well, I, that, that one, one I agree. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, neither one. That's actually fair because the question didn't say which is more likely. It said which is likely. So neither is a decent answer there. Anyway. Yeah. All right. And lastly, number nine question is Bryce Harper won't be traded this winter as the Nationals take another run at a World Series. But Josh Donaldson, Manny Machado, and Andrew McCutcheon will also be free agents a year from now. Which of those three players is most likely to get traded? This offseason, Donaldson, Machado, McCutcheon. Oh, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say McCutcheon because he, I mean, he was the closest to being traded probably. And the Blue Jays are probably going to make a, a one more chance at this thing. And Machado, I think if he was going to be traded, that probably would have happened already. So yeah, McCutcheon. All right. Responses, McCutcheon, 26, Donaldson, 11, Machado, zero. Three respondents <laughs> had no opinion. <laughs> All right, so we did that. We expressed opinions on every one of these things because that is the spirit of this exercise. So, Carlos Gonzalez, career, 
412 weighted on base average at home, 316 on the road. That's good for a WRC plus of 95. Carlos Gonzalez, basically average hitter for his career. He's been great in Colorado. He seems like just a classic. Like, look, the Orioles are going to sign one of Andrew Kashner and Jason Vargas. They're going to fall short in the bidding for Lance Lynn, I guess. And then they're going to sign Carlos Gonzalez to probably play the outfield dumbly. And then uh-huh. they're still going to just kind of fart their way to 83 wins. <laughs> right. All right. So we're going to try to cram two drafts into the rest of this podcast. So we, we teased one on Friday. That's the, the free agent contract draft. The first one, I think, will be quick. These are both drafts that we have done on this podcast in the past. The first one will be World Series odds changers. So essentially, we're taking the World Series odds as of today. I'm just using the sports book Bovada for this. And we are predicting which odds will change between now and opening day. So what are the odds today? And we're predicting whether certain teams will have better or worse odds come opening day. And I don't think we care about the magnitude of the change, just the direction of the change here. So, Okay, I have a coin here. Yeah, okay. So uh, do you want heads or tails? (laughs) I will take tails. Okay, just take my word for it. Okay. It's tails. You go first. Okay. Sam Miller used to insist that he could predict heads or tails based on the sound of the coin landing, which okay. is the most mystifying thing I've ever heard. Here, but here listen he, to this. He believed that to be true. Okay. <laughs> what do you got? No opinion. I am I am like <laughs> the respondent in the crash no, survey. I'm a, answer. No, I, I say it's half heads and uh, half tails. <laughs> right. Okay, so I am going first. Okay, so let's see here. I have I've written down some picks here. So I'm gonna go with I think the Marlins to fall on this list. So the Marlins right now are plus sixty six hundred. And if you're confused about gambling odds as I am, I have plugged in <laughs> what this means <laughs> into a, a gambling odds converter. So plus 6,600, that means 66 to 1. That means they have an implied probability of like 1.5%. I'm going to guess that their odds decrease between now and opening day. There are currently six teams with odds either equal to or worse than the Marlins. And obviously this is it's priced in, right? What people expect the Marlins to do this winter is priced into these odds. It's not like people are just completely throwing up their hands and saying we have no idea what these teams will do. We have a sense of which teams will be buyers or sellers. And obviously the Marlins are perceived to be among the most likely sellers. But I still think that when that actually comes to pass, when the Marlins trade Stanton, trade some other guys, presumably, they will just kind of have the stink of the seller about them by opening day. And I think, if anything, the market probably tends to overrate offseason activity. And so the team that's like been the big buyer will get a bigger boost than maybe it should and, and vice versa for the team that's been the big seller. So I'm going to say the Marlins are the most notable seller of the offseason. And so their odds fall even from their fairly lowly point where they are today. Okay. My pick? Yeah. 
Padres. I think the Padres do better. Padres okay. are at the bottom of this. They're at plus yes. 10,000, which I interpret as, I guess, 100 to 1. Tied with the Tigers. Tied with the Tigers, who are dreadful, just absolutely dreadful team. I uh, I think, well, no, I'm not going to give anything away. I think the Padres <laughs> will do better. Here's the thing. I don't think the Padres are actually going to be good next year, but I think that there's a decent enough chance that this winter they do something that's just out there, whether that's trading for Stanton. I think that there is some possibility they end up with Shohei Otani. I think that there's some possibility they end up with another premium player. Not saying that this is what they should be doing, but I think they have a, a decent chance that someone like Otani, and then Otani makes things a heck of a lot different because he's just such a such a lottery ticket. So I think the Padres will end up moving up, uh, not into any kind of good spot, but I don't mm-hmm. think that they come out of the winter in last place. Okay. All right. I'm going to take the Giants to rise, I think. They are currently plus 4,000, 40 to 1. They are right there with, well, the Rockies, I guess, and then the Braves and the Orioles right below them. I just think that the passage of time will kind of correct what people think about the Giants. I I think that they're one of those teams that is in line for a bounce back without really doing anything, just because everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong just about this year. And I don't know that they'll be big sellers, but presumably they'll do something. They'll turn the page a little bit. We'll have time to reflect and we'll be thinking less about how awful they were this season and more about how they actually stack up heading into next season. So I'm going to say the Giants do a bit better than they are currently projected to do. Okay. I will uh, I will use my pick on the Royals. The Royals are currently at 50 to 1. Mm-hmm. It's roughly 2% World Series odds or something. I guess they are tied for 17th. It's a big tie. These are some, uh, some split the middle gamblers. They're tied with the Braves, Orioles, Angels, White Sox, and Rangers. I think the Royals' odds will get worse because I think that the Royals are bad. Mm-hmm. I think that they will assign players who are not good. I think that the roster will remain bad. I think that they will lose Lorenzo Kane. Mm-hmm. They will lose Mike Mustakis, even though they'll try to resign him. They will lose Eric Hosmer, even though they'll try to resign him. They will lose Mike Miner, even though they might try to resign him. And they will all be replaced with players who are worse, not necessarily players who are bad, but players who are not good enough to make the roster not bad. And I think that that will be clear when the winter is over. I think the Royals will be a bad baseball team. Mm-hmm. All right. I, with my third pick, I guess maybe we can do five each here. We can take the Mets next. They are at Plus 2,200. I'm going to take them to fall. They are currently, what, eighth, I think? Eighth mm-hmm. highest odds here. They're sandwiched between the Yankees. Actually, they are tied with the Cardinals. They're above the Diamondbacks. I think that they're kind of in that Giants category of team that could get better without doing anything just because they're unlikely to have quite the same injury issues that they had this past season And, you know, they have a new manager and new trainer, and maybe people will buy into that, making a a difference health-wise. But I just think they probably won't be all that active this winter. Was it last winter when they almost literally did nothing? Like, every player (laughs) on their opening day roster had been on the team the previous year. I think it was. They, you know, they've, they've had some years where they've signed free agents and spent as they've gotten further away from the Madoff disaster. But I don't know that they're in line for 
big free agent splashes or anything. So if they have another winter of inactivity, I think maybe the market will cool on them a little bit. So I'll take Mets to fall. Okay. I'll take the Rangers to fall. Okay. Rangers, they're tied for 17th with the Braves, Orioles, Mm -hmm. Angels, Royals, White Sox, and the Rangers are there. They're at plus 5,000, so 50 to 1. I think there's that chance, I guess, that they come out of this winter with Shohei Otani on the roster, and that would be great for them. Uh, It would be doubly great for them because they have no pitching. Cole Hamels is the best pitcher on their team, and he just got a lot worse. I don't really know why, but he did. The numbers got worse. Strikeouts got worse. And so they don't have Darvish anymore. Of course, they don't really have a lot of pitching coming through the system certainly that not that it has made it to the major league level so i think that the the rangers are not a very good team i think that will become more apparent over the winter Mm -hmm. short of some sort of otani acquisition where uh, no matter even if you think the rangers have some sort of leg up well they don't because a lot of teams have a perceived leg up and Mm -hmm. i don't think that the rangers are special Mm -hmm. all right i'm gonna take with my fourth pick the reds to fall also i think they are at 66 to 1 right now right where the marlins are right where the twins and the a's and the pirates are i just think that they're odds are are worse than the teams that they are currently tied with other than the Marlins I've already expected the Marlins to fall but I think between now and opening day it will be clear that teams like the Twins and the A's and the Pirates and even the Phillies who are even worse World Series odds wise I I just I don't really currently see the argument for the Reds above any of those teams so I don't think they will do anything all that impressive or momentous this offseason So, yeah, I I just don't think the pitching is there. Maybe it's coming, but we're coming off back-to-back years of just abysmal pitching, and I don't Mm -hmm. know that that will change in 2018. Mm -hmm. I will take the Brewers to fall. I think that the okay. Brewers are fine. I like their their rebuild process, but they're at plus 3,300, so 33 to 1. They're tied with the Mariners and Rays. Boy, there's not a lot of good baseball teams, but <laughs> the Brewers are therefore technically tied for 12th place, mm-hmm. and I think that they are fine. I would be a lot a lot more satisfied with their roster if they knew what they were going to be getting out of Jimmy Nelson, their best starting pitcher, who is going to miss a chunk of next year, and he's coming back from major shoulder surgery. Don't let pitchers hit or run the bases. And yeah, I don't think that maybe, maybe the Brewers are going to do something like trade for Chris Archer, I guess, this winter. There's that possibility. I know that they were hot after Sonny Gray around the deadline line last year so maybe maybe they would make a move like that but eh, i think that once again this is going to be a situation where there's like a a handful maybe two handfuls of really really good baseball teams and i just think that those i don't know seven eight nine teams are going to have by far the strongest odds and i don't think the brewers are deserving of this standing Mm -hmm. all right and my last pick i'm kind of torn on what to do here i think i will take Angels to rise. Mm-hmm. Right now, Angels are at 50 to 1. They're tied with the Royals, the Braves, the Orioles, the White Sox, the Rangers. I think they're probably better than those teams for one thing they have Mike Trout they have Simmons we now know that they will have Upton although that is priced in here I think Billy Uplers made some smart moves maybe he makes some improvements on the margins to get them looking a little bit better before opening day and of course they were one of the closest misses for the postseason field this year so uh, I'm gonna go with Angels maybe maybe by spring it'll be looking like Garrett Richards is healthy and some of their other starters are healthy I guess it could look the opposite. They could all be hurt, but I'm going to say Angels do a little bit better than this before opening day. 
Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And yeah. I will use my last pick on the Tigers to do worse than the last place that they are currently in. They're at plus 10,000 tied with the Padres, tied for 29th. <laughs> they're at 100 to 1 odds, which I think is far too generous for a team like the Tigers. I think that if anything, this offseason could see them trade Ian Kinsler. It could see them trade Nick Castellanos. It could see them trade, well, that's all of their good players, so I don't know what else <laughs> they could do. So I think that the Tigers are going to come out of this winter in better organizational shape, but absolutely dreadful Major League roster shape. I don't think that they deserve to be tied to the Padres at all. They should be in last with a bullet. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to screenshot these odds as they stand right now, and we will compare them at the end of the offseason, and we'll see what has changed. Were you uh, debating any others? I was thinking about Diamondbacks to rise, Mm -hmm. maybe, just because they're at 28 to 1. They're below the Mets, the Cardinals, the Yankees, etc. And I was thinking about Mariners to do something, uh, to maybe to rise. I don't know. They're at 33 to 1 right now, and you just never know because there's probably more volatility around the Mariners every winter just because, you know, Jerry Depoto's going to be tempted to turn over the entire roster. And there is the chance, at least, that they could end up with Darvish or Otani or someone and make a, a real run at this in the last chances they have available. Any other mm-hmm. teams you were considering here? Yeah, three potential risers. I think the A's are going to rise. But I don't know if it's going to be reflected in the odds. I think mm-hmm. the A's are just going to go into next year kind of underrated. I think the Phillies are a good candidate for a similar reason, but they might go out and spend and actually get better in a conspicuous way. And I think the Cubs, uh, right now they're tied for fifth, I guess, but they're at plus 1,100, so 11 to 1. And I think that the, considering that just a year ago, everyone thought the Cubs were, or a lot of people thought the Cubs could be a building dynasty, they didn't really get much worse. And I keep thinking they could come out of this offseason with Darvish and Otani at the same time. So I think the Cubs are a good chance to make some sort of splash. They have a lot of talent already on the roster. I think that they can move up. All right. Okay. So we have worked through the undercard and we've come to the last leg of this podcast, the main event. This is the free agent contract draft. And in this draft, the magnitude and the direction both matter. So we're using MLB trade rumors, contract predictions here. We could have gone with someone else. I know John Heyman did his top 80 free agents. He he not only makes his predictions, but he has an expert make the predictions and he he says nothing about who the expert is. It's just expert. It doesn't even say like a team source or a GM or something, just expert. Anyway, we're going to go with the MLB trade rumors list. It's a top 50, although that has already been winnowed down slightly by people like Tanaka and Brantley, who are not actually free agents. So this was the product of, it looks like, four people at MLBTR who put their heads together and came up with this ranking and these estimates. And the game, we just take the contracts that we think will be furthest from the mark the the estimates that we think will be furthest from the mark and we say whether we're taking the under or the over and the end of the winter we tally up everything and you count it if you got the direction right so if you if you get the direction right then you get the amount of money that you were right by essentially added to your column and if you didn't get the direction right then it's just washed away and person with the most money at the end of the winter wins so I, I guess you have the top pick here. I don't think that's true. I think we have to flip the coin again. Oh, okay. Sure. Heads or tails? I'll go with tails again. Okay. Tell me what you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I still have no opinion. That was tails. You oh. go pick. You wow. Go All right. Okay. With my top pick. So 
I'm always torn by the, you know, I guess you go first with the the big dollar, the big ticket items here because you have the potential to make many millions of dollars, whereas maybe there are some on the, the bottom of the ranking that you feel very certain about, but you might only stand to make a few million dollars either way. So I'm going to go first, I guess, with Jake Arrieta. Ding! Your top top seed also. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so Arietta predicted to make $100 million over four years, and that might be a a reasonable thing to pay Jake Arietta, but I am going to guess that some team will do the unreasonable thing and pay him significantly more than that. So I think that uh, that's my pick. We're not going to talk about where these guys are going to go because we have no idea. MLB Trade Rumors predicts because it's fun. But yeah, that's that's what I'm going to go with. I, I think there are a few potential landmines in this market, right? And not everyone who seems like they're going to get more than, than they get ends up getting that there was someone last year who was like the consensus oh he's gonna be a a terrible contract and then it didn't really turn out to be the case but every year there are a few of these guys there are definitely a few of these guys this year and Arietta is probably topping the list. Maybe teams are just so smart now that they won't overcommit to him but I'm gonna guess that that someone will. Yeah so wait Go back to the start. The prediction here was 4-100. What did you think? I'm not going to say. We don't have to say what we think it'll be. We're just taking the over or the under, and we get but credit you... for uh, So I'm taking the over on that. You're taking the over on 4-100. Yeah. You're taking the under. Oh, you take the I would, under. Okay. I, well, you know what? My pick doesn't matter, but no, I was going to take the under. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I think I am. Well, here's the thing. I think that it, there's a pretty good chance Scott Boris convinces some owner, blah, 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 because mm-hmm. this is not going to go to the GM level. Right. But I think there's a decent enough chance that enough executives are out there. Just like all they hear, all I would hear right now, if I'm an executive going into this market and they're looking for starting pitching, it's just constant, like, like the sound of fire alarms just going off in the distance, just all around you. And then yeah. sometimes like if you, if you call up Scott Boris, the alarm gets a little bit louder and you're like, <laughs> whoa, I can't, Scott, I can't really hear you. Can you, you speak up over the, yeah, I think I think that there's too many red. I think Arietta. I see him as a potential landmine, but I think there's there's a pretty decent chance that teams are just like, you know what? No, yeah. we're not going to do it. Yeah, that's certainly possible. I just think either he's going to get more than this just on a per year basis, or I could see him getting like a five year contract. That wouldn't shock me. Just someone's going to want him enough to to add that extra year on and then maybe you're just kind of getting over 100 million just by bulk. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say that he ends up over this. Probably shouldn't. Some teams will be smart enough not to, but I'm going to say at least one won't be. Man, can you imagine giving him more than that when Rich Hill signed for 348? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I know. Okay, so you took Arietta off my list. I'm just going to uh, Wow, that's then... amazing. We we each had him as our our top <laughs> pick, but for opposite reasons. About that. Okay. All right. So you went for the big money. So I'm going to go for the biggest money. You Darvish here is mm. Predicted for six one sixty, and you know what? After talking about the Krasniks, after having people <laughs> being like, "Look, I think that he's going to be somewhat affected." You Darvish hasn't reached two hundred innings since twenty thirteen. Mm-hmm. He's had Tommy John surgery. He's in his thirties now. He's always been a strikeout machine, but has never really quite pitched at the level that I think that one would expect him to pitch at, given the quality of his stuff. Now you've got some World Series uncertainty. I'm going to take. I'm going to take the under. On okay. uh, on you, Darvish. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think uh, overall I would say overs are more common picks in this 
draft just i don't know i guess i tend to think that maybe the estimators are more conservative than the market is or you don't really price in the winner's curse you kind of part of you is thinking well this is what this guy should get or this is what i would give him and the team that ends up signing the player often gives more than that that's why they end up with the player and then also i think sometimes we maybe fail to anticipate the market and the year-over-year inflation, so I find myself taking more overs than unders in this draft. But if I were to take one on Darvish, I I suppose I would take the under, but I didn't feel all that strongly about this one. Mm -hmm. All right, I think I'm going to take the over on Lorenzo Cain. Lorenzo Cain, 4 and 70 is the estimate here, and he's another one that, you know, stands out as, oh, this is a, a guy you maybe don't want to commit to because he's in his 30s, he's 31, he'll be 32 next April, so maybe I'm wrong here, I don't know, but I think he's been a good enough player for long enough and has a diverse enough skill set that maybe he can command more than this either on a per-year basis or an additional year tacked on there. I mean, I don't know if J.D. Martinez is looking for a contract that would get him to, like, age 37, then I don't see why Lorenzo Cain couldn't request the same sort of length. And if he gets to, to five years instead of four, then suddenly this seems like a very achievable number to me. So I'm going to go with Cain. Uh, he's got the, the qualifying offer attached, of course, which maybe depresses his potential a little bit. But, yeah, I'll still take the over. Okay. I'm going to take the under on... I shouldn't be taking unders. I'm going to take the under on Lance Lynn. He's ah, here yes. at four okay. years yeah, and fifty six million, right. and I don't know why either of those numbers is in this post. Maybe no. they're tagged to the wrong player, but Lance Lynn, perfectly fine, I guess, starting pitcher. Yeah. The odd thing is in, in Heyman's predictions, he actually had either the same or higher numbers. Like when I first read this, I thought, Lance Lynn, that much money? But Heyman has him also at 56 over four, and his shadowy expert has him at 75 <laughs> over five years. What? Which... Lance Lynn. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Come on. I don't know. You don't even need a better argument than come on. <laughs> I know. Lance Lynn's like whole claim to value is durability, right? And he hasn't even really <laughs> had that. I mean, he had Tommy no, Johnson missed, missed the whole season. And he hasn't been a 200-inning guy since 2014. Granted, almost no one is a 200-inning guy anymore. But yeah, I mean, I guess the argument here is he had a low ERA, so superficially speaking. Uh. And, and he had low, you know, he was like a legitimately good pitcher in 2014 and 2015 and eh, even before that. I mean, you know, his all of his years prior to Tommy John, he was a good pitcher. He was, you know, not like super exciting, but FIPS in the threes, low to mid threes every year. And so you would have paid him that before the Tommy John surgery. And I guess the question is just how much of a market there still is. He had the durability this year. He made 33 starts, but the peripherals were not impressive. The the walk rate was up, etc. I guess maybe you could say, I don't know, a year removed from the surgery, maybe he'll be better in some way, but it's, yeah, it still seems like a lot. Yeah. No, Lance Lynn can't pitch to lefties. He's the whatever durability argument he had doesn't exist anymore. Last year, Rich Hill got 348. He was actually good. Ivan Nova got 326. He was more removed from Tommy John surgery than Lance Lynn. And also he was less removed from being a good pitcher mm -hmm. than Lance Lynn. 
Charlie Morton got 214. And look, I, I know the deal with Charlie Morton, but Lance Lynn at 456, that would be a Look, I didn't come into this winter thinking that Lance Lynn was like a, a primo landmine. But if we're talking 456 and 575, yeah. oh, hard pass. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right. I think I'm going to take an under also with my third pick, and that is Logan Morrison. Logan mm-hmm. Morrison is predicted here to make three years and $36 million, which, you know, it's not totally unreasonable, certainly based on the season he just had, but season he just had was a departure from every previous season he has had. So, you know, he was a legitimately good hitter this year, 130 WRC plus 38 home runs, but he has no track record of doing this. He was basically a, a league average hitter just about every year before that, going back to the, the beginning of his career with the Marlins. He is now over 30. He does not seem like the greatest clubhouse presence slash teammate slash person you want publicly representing your organization. He is, you know, defensively fairly limited. He, I mean, you know, I've named enough reasons. I mean, he <laughs> he walked more this year and he's not a extremely high strikeout guy for the power that he gives you. So I can see it, but I just, I'm going to say that teams just based on the lack of a history of doing this and also just who Logan Morrison is and his public persona that no one's going to want to go three years with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Against well, okay. How many picks have we done? I've done three, I think, in the past. Yeah. In the past, we've done eight each here. I don't know whether we will each come up with eight. That's, we feel strongly that's too about, many. But <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, we'll see okay. how, how deep we go. I will, against almost my better judgment, uh, as long as I'm just going to pick some big money, I'm going to take the under on Wade Davis. Mm, yeah, I was tempted to do that too. Maybe, again, maybe I have too much faith in what I think the landscape of front offices is right now Wade Davis did not have a bad season but I think at his age his velocity has dropped precipitously his strikeouts were there but he doesn't throw a lot of strikes his strike rate last year was actually below average he lost about two miles per hour off of his stuff he's getting older as many of us are and I think that there are going to be enough durability concerns here so he's projected here at four and 60 million I could see him getting like three and 45 million Mm -hmm. but you know Mark Melanson signed for what was it like 462 or something with the Giants and yeah and he was he had more of more durability on his side now that's mm-hmm. funny now because he <laughs> immediately got injured but yes i think that there are too many red flags with way davis for a team to go to 460 yeah i'm with you there he he walked a ton of guys late in the season his velocity was down relative to previous seasons so i wouldn't give way davis four years and 60 and and this was on my list but i don't know i mean you mentioned the melanson deal this is essentially the melanson deal except it's a year later and the market for closers is not as strong melanson got mm-hmm. that money even though kenley jensen was out there and Roldis Chapman was out there and those guys were getting even more and this year I, I think it's fairly indisputable that Wade Davis's best reliever available at least based on his history I mean relievers are pretty unpredictable and there are other people who will be just as good but I think just based on what we've seen you'd have to say Wade Davis is the best and so I could see some team that is just desperate for certainty giving Wade Davis this amount of money. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets something in this range, although I, I wouldn't want to be that team. All right. <laughs> I'll take with my fourth pick, I think I'll take the over on Carlos Santana, who mm-hmm. is at three years and 45 million. 
And I mean, Carlos Santana is just, he's such a good player. He is <laughs> going to be 32 next April, which is the main concern. But Carlos Santana has been, I would think, among the most consistent players in the majors, right? I mean, he's played. 150 plus games every year since 2013 he's really never had a year where he's missed a lot of time he's basically been a three-win player every year i mean sometimes a little bit better sometimes a little bit worse but in that range year after year after year i think teams value that kind of consistency and he's a switch hitter he is a a good defender i don't know whether people think of him as a a good defender but by first base standards i would say he's he's pretty good over there and i don't know i think there are enough teams that are in the market for first baseman and won't want to enter the hosmer sweepstakes that he could get either another year tacked onto this or maybe more per year and i'm not sure it would be a a bad investment because he's just been a, a very solid player for a long time now so i'm gonna say he gets a little more than this mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna make the boldest pick of the day i think okay i'm gonna take the over on eric hosmer wow. at six years and 132 million dollars all right i think uh so there are a few things working in hosmer's favor one last year he was he had a, a i think a career best season last year but his uh his april was just dreadful he had w, wrc plus of 52 and then after that he was a, a very good hitter but eric hosmer right now is uh he's he just recently turned 28 years old so he kind of has that jason hayward edge working for him not that mm-hmm. again that's worked out <laughs> for hayward but yeah. hosmer i think he's he's young so you're gonna have a team signing him for a while i think that it would be easy to convince yourself that he's found something at the plate i'm not saying that you necessarily should because in two of the last four years he's been a replacement level player that's bad mm-hmm. but he trimmed down on his strikeouts he improved his power i think that there are a lot of teams out there who are going to look at his stat cast measurables and and think that there's room for a lot like even more power hitting down the road if he makes some sort of adjustment that maybe he didn't make with kansas city it's weird he has like he just can't hit the ball to the pull side he just can't he yeah. hits everything the other way but looking at Hosmer. I think that to me, the the actual upside here is kind of more conspicuous than it. Like every player has upside, you know, but I mm-hmm. think that his is is pretty clear. He has a, an average contact rate, actually an above average contact rate. So he's he has bat to ball skills. And I think that neither one of us can prove that this is true. But I think Hosmer will benefit from the intangible perception of leadership. Uh-huh. I think that he is considered one of those those clubhouse guys, really strong. People are probably going to associate Hosmer with the Royals overachieving for the last three or four years. So throw in the Boris factor, the ownership factor, and I think Hosmer will probably clear 150 million at least. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Bold pick, but I like it. And with my fifth, I'm going to go with a, a smaller money deal here. I'm going to take the over on Michael Pineda, who mm-hmm. LB Trade Rumors has him at two years and six million. And this just seems low to me. I mean, Pineda was in line for a huge deal before he had Tommy John surgery in July. He was having his best year probably by well eh, he was having about as good a year as he had had the previous season just if you go by the peripherals at least and he had set himself up and then he had Tommy John surgery but I think this is likely to be a multi-year deal because he'll want some security and some team will want to kind of sign him when he is an unknown quantity and get a good deal on his first full healthy year presumably and he had Tommy John early enough that there's potential at least for him to come back for the stretch run for the playoffs next year even if that's far from a certainty so 
I'm going to say that some team gives him a good deal more than this kind of pricing and having Mm -hmm. him for a full 2019. Who can you think of who's signed a contract like this? Like the Nathan Neovaldi comes to mind, right? Yeah, right. I'm thinking of like like John Lieber. That's going back. (laughs) I think about that too. Was that that the first one of those? Precedent setting one, I think, right? That was like the first time, at least that I remember, that a team signed a Tommy John guy to like a multi-year deal with an eye toward getting a good deal on his healthy season. So that's probably mm-hmm. why I think of that. But there have been more of these. Like, uh, but there have been some some relievers who've had this. I think was yeah, I'm trying to remember was Soria one of these guys or I don't know. But it's happened, and I think he's he's going to get more than six million. Okay, I'm going to take the under on Zach Cozart. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that he should get paid less than this, but Cozart is projected in here for three years and $42 million. Uh, That seems perfectly reasonable for a guy who's been pretty good for a number of years and seems to be benefiting from this new baseball. But I think that there's kind of one clue is that the Reds declined to extend the qualifying offer to Cozart, which is a little surprising because I thought that Cozart at like 17 or 18 million and one year would be fine. But I just have this mounting sense that the Reds are feeling pretty good about their chances to re-sign Cozart and for less money. So I think Cozart is going to come out of this with a smaller deal than 342. And I think it's going to work out pretty well for whoever gets him, provided that team plays in a bandbox of a ballpark. Uh huh. Okay. I am going to take the over on Jaime Garcia with my six pick. This is two years and 16 million. And I mean, is there that much of a difference between Lance Lynn and Jaime Garcia? They seem somewhat comparable to me. And Garcia is coming off a year where he was traded for by two contenders, two playoff teams. So clearly teams want him, see something of value in him. He is fairly durable. He's left-handed. He's fine. He's, you know, nothing special. He's a guy who good competitive teams are happy to have in the back of their rotation. And I'm going to say that's worth more than $8 million a year or two years. So I don't know that the Lance Lynn estimate here is something that you really want to use as a baseline because I don't know <laughs> that either of us totally buys it. But I'm going to say he can do a bit better than this. Okay. I am going to take the under on Andrew Kashner mm, at yeah, that's, $20 million. Yeah. And two years. And here's why. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> no, he's not. Last year, last year, there were 125 starting pitchers who threw at least 100 innings. And everyone is familiar with strikeout rate. Everyone is familiar with walk rates. Mm-hmm. And so Fangraphs has a measure that is just strikeout minus walk rate. It's better than strikeout to walk ratio. Anyway, the worst starting pitcher out of that group, Mike Pelfrey, uh, with a strikeout minus walk rate of two percentage points. And Andrew yeah. Kashner, second worst at 3.1 percentage points. Andrew Kashner, to whatever extent that you think Kashner is good because he throws hard he still throws hard but his strikeouts just evaporated yes. i don't know what happened to him right but look you don't sign andrew Kashner this winter as a guy who you think you want to use in the playoffs and you i don't i wouldn't want to give him multiple years when he's coming off a year where he struggled to strike out more batters and he walked his mm-hmm. whole thing was soft contact but i don't know why you would ever believe in that in the year 2017 so yeah i think he gets a one-year deal maybe like six to eight million okay All right. Yeah, I agree on the evaluation. The only thing that gives me pause is that Heyman and his expert (laughs) (laughs) both have Kashner making more than this, either 22 over 2 or 30 over 3. I don't know. Kashner has just entered that realm. I've talked about this on the podcast before where like you have certain guys who are tantalizing because they are either good or hurt and... 
eventually they leave that class and they get hurt enough that it actually affects their performance and then suddenly even when they're healthy they're no longer good like you know this is kind of the the rich harden kind of class of pitcher who is always just oh if he could stay healthy he'd be great because when he was healthy he was great but then eventually (laughs) not great this is the, the rich harden ben sheets kind of pitcher and Kashner was kind of in that group, and now he has maybe entered the phase where he is not good even if he's healthy. So, yeah, this seems dangerous. I don't know if he still has enough kind of cachet attached to his stuff that someone will bank on a bounce back here, but it wouldn't be me. Ugh. All right. So we are through six. I actually I could go two more if you have two more. I'm going to go with the over on number 50 on this list, Miles <laughs> Michaelis, who uh, is a former major league pitcher. He pitched in the majors for the Padres and the Rangers uh, a few years ago, and he did not distinguish himself. Then he went to Japan. He has spent the past three seasons in Japan with the Omiuri Giants and has been fantastic. He has had a 2.18 ERA in more than 400 innings, about a strikeout per inning, has barely walked anyone. I haven't looked to see what his stuff has been like. I mean, his strikeout rate has improved each year he's been over there. I don't know whether he has reinvented himself or added stuff, and that obviously has some bearing on what he'll make here. But durable guy... Eh, well, maybe not so durable, but whatever. He's He's been one of the best pitchers in Japan for a few years in a row now, and I have to think that that's going to be appealing to people because I think we've seen enough players go back and forth now that teams are maybe more confident than they used to in projecting how players will handle that transition. And man, I, I don't know if you've been that good at that high level for that long, that's got to be pretty tantalizing. So I'm going to say that someone gives him more than you'd think, like the Eric Thames kind of contract last year where he got more than anyone is was expecting, including himself. I don't know whether that turned out to be justified or not, but eh, I mean, he certainly wasn't the sensation that he looked like in April, but he's basically worth the, the low commitment he got there. And I think probably Michaelis would be worth something in this range. So I'm going to say he gets a little more. Okay. I'm uh, I'm flying blind here. I'm out of notes. So I'm going to take the over on Anthony Swarzak, which is a silly thing to say, because I'm pretty sure that a year ago he signed a minor league contract and he's 32 years old. But he had a uh, he had a big year for the Brewers and the White Sox. He struck out more than 10 batters per nine innings, didn't walk many guys. He kind of I think he started to figure out what he wanted to do in 2016 with the Yankees. But then he allowed a bunch of dingers and you don't want to do that as a pitcher because that makes your ERA go boom. But Swarzak in in 2016 with the Yankees started leading heavily on his slider. He threw it more than half the time, and he did that again last year with the White Sox and the Brewers. So he's just a, a fastball slider kind of uh, righty reliever. So he's he's not a it's not like Andrew Miller or anything. But he is good now against righties and lefties. I think his slider has turned into a weapon. I think that Swarzak has has kind of figured out how to be a a pretty good I I wouldn't he's not a closer no one's gonna use him to close and I don't think he's even necessarily like the setup guy but I think he's the setup guy's setup guy uh-huh. kind of like the seventh inning sixth and seventh inning sort of specialist guy who can handle those innings he threw 77 into third innings last year made 70 appearances he was used heavily out of he didn't seem to wear down he was good with the Brewers I think he's gonna end up coming away with a, a three-year deal mm-hmm. okay and with my eighth I guess I'm gonna go with the under on Jonathan Lucroy and you know he's at 224 which is not a lot of money obviously but his defense just seems to have declined to the point where you just wouldn't want Lucroy playing for you for any amount of money really and I know that (laughs) 
his he sort of salvaged the season a little bit after he went to the Rockies. His framing was still poor, according to baseball prospectus, but his bat bounced back a bit. Not really his power. His power has evaporated, but he hit well overall and showed good plate discipline, particularly, and I think walked uh, many more times than he struck out once he was with the Rockies. So maybe that's enough to to get him this amount of money. I don't know. I just think that as a catcher at this point, if you believe those framing stats, he's pretty much unplayable. And this is not just a one-year blip. I mean, it was a one-year blip of him being like the worst catcher, but he has been trending downward for some time now. The days of him being among the best defensive catchers are far behind him at this point. So I just don't know. There's not that big a market for catchers, period. I, I wouldn't say that many openings, and I just don't know if there are that many teams that are going to be willing to commit to him as an everyday guy, and I'm not sure that you'd trust is bad enough to use him as like a first baseman DH, so eh, I don't know. It's one of the more fascinating free agencies, I think. It's a fun test case, but I just don't know coming off a season when, if you believe the framing stats, which, as you pointed out, were less consistent this past year than, than in prior years. But still, if you believe those, he was among the worst players in baseball, period. Well, with my last pick, I guess I'm kind of torn. Look, I see Sabathia, it would be an easier pick. I, I don't think he's going to get two years. I think he's kind uh-huh. of at a year-to-year point in his career. But I, you, I'm just going to I'm gonna bypass that. Uh-huh. I'm going to take... What was I looking at? Uh-oh. Who was I looking at? <laughs> I've already lost track. I'm going to take the under on Mike Moustakis at 585. Mm. I think Moustakis is a fine player, but I think that there is some concern about his uh, his body. I think there's some concern about his defense at third base, how long he'll be able to do that. And he, he's a, an above average hitter. I think it's, it's safe to say at this point, but he's not like a great hitter. He just doesn't have the great hitter tendencies. He hits too many pop-ups and he's not actually that good at going to the opposite field. It's a complicated case, but I think that he's going to end up settling for a four-year deal. I don't think a team is going to love a five-year term with him. I think that to whatever extent the Royals are perceived to have had great leadership, I bet Hosmer is going to come away getting a lot of the credit for that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I had a couple others I was considering. I was thinking about the overrun Wellington Castillo at 2-14. and 14. I was also considering the overrun Carlos Gonzalez at 1-12 and 12, just because I think he could get a multi-year deal if he wanted to, and I don't know why he would want to. He should probably go for the one-year deal and do the kind of pillow contract thing, try to rebuild his value, but if he did want multiple years, I think he could probably get them, and that would take him over 12, but I didn't feel strongly about anything else, so we will see how this all works out. That was uh, an action-packed episode. We didn't even <laughs> talk about the fact that the Braves have a new GM now, seemingly. Alex Anthopoulos is the new Braves GM, which I, I don't have a whole lot to say about other than the fact that it's better than having no GM or a GM who resigned in disgrace very recently. So having a guy who had some success in Toronto and has been immersed in the Dodgers front office for a while now, probably an improvement. Yep. Okay. All right. So we will end it there. The news about Carlos Beltran's retirement broke after we finished speaking, so I'm sure we'll get to that next time. In the interim, you can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five listeners who've already pledged their support include Daryl Purpose, Melissa Goodwin, Cameron Mosley, Mike Thompson, and Robert Livingston. Thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for editing us assistance. We'll take your emails next time, so please keep your questions and comments coming. 
via email at podcastfangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system. We will talk to you soon. Bye.